Oh yeah, I just read. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Just start with chapter three. Okay. Um, chapter three. Follow the sun. Surrounded by the morning rays, which were now much brighter, Lucy Lane's vision was almost angelic. Her father watched her face for a few seconds, and so did she, both fearing that a hug would not be allowed after so long. At last, she hugged the curvy body of her father, who then reciprocated the gesture. I was afraid you wouldn't come, he said, crying softly. Leave you. Lane felt his pain increase slightly as he heard this. In the remaining days of that week, we prepared for the expedition by integrating Lucy into the schedule of our adventure. Seeing Lane listen attentively to someone without retorting was one of the most interesting phenomena. Keen was in charge of getting extra material since now we would have another member on the team. Something he had doubted we would manage. I, for my part, kept as far away from the lanes as I could, only going to the doctor's house when called upon, so that they could be alone and chat. He rarely came to the lab either, and I'll give him that. After all, what importance would bones and jars have when his daughter came to visit? On the rare occasions we talked, I tried to understand Lucy's thoughts. But felt a certain strangeness in talking to a young person. My experience with friendships being limited to other people. By the end of that week, we had all four tickets, minimal luggage in our backpacks, and a strong handshake from the dean, accompanied by a look that said, "Dare to return empty-handed." We arrived as a group at Tweed New Haven Airport. Dr. Lane being boarded first, along with the other seniors which caused him to run gleefully to the gate, not at least caring that one of his feet always maintained contact with the ground. Oh, what a scene. Frankly, if the criterion for the elderly to be boarded before others are that they are physically limited, I would have bared such a light figure. Already inside the aircraft, the lanes chatted happily in the room behind me, leaving me temporarily free to think. Before anything interesting could form, however, Keen came to my row and started an innocent conversation, which soon proved to be an excuse to show off his careful programming. I think that your master has changed his point of attention. I believe we should take the matter into our hands. Unrolling an ancient map over my lap, he continued. First stop is Sokano Harta, then Jackson's in Port Moresby after 16 hours, and a connection in Singapore. Finally, Hoskins in New Guinea. And how do we get south and reach the archipelago? I asked, feigning interest. Oh, I have contacted the pilot in Kimb, one who not see us only after check-in. He replied, winking. An illegal pilot, you mean? Your words. King retorted, leaning back in his chair and pouting like a spoiled child. Does Dr. Lane know that his daughter will be in a helicopter piloted by a man of dubious skills? I'll give her a chance to look back and ask that again. I flinched for a second at the acidity with which he said the sentence, but I couldn't take his point away. 
My mentor had his mind miles away from the Yambungi archipelago and any details relating to this trip. Next to me, Jacob Keane gave an exasperated sigh and finished. At last, another bloke living on the southwest coast from Hong Shaohaia, a speedboat. There was a reason for me to think this was another of the suspicious types Keane knew around the world, but I didn't have the spirit to say anything. At last, it was silent and I was able to take advantage of the window I was given and meditate. Through my eyes, an extensive journey unfolded from the row of trees leading to an immense arched entrance at Soweda. To an immense arched entrance at Soweda to the image of a reddish bird of paradise at Jackson's and of course, the unfriendly figures of pilot Michael Somar and the men from whom we would rent us people. Arriving at his residence in Murian, Keane wanted to chat straight away about the payment arrangements, and so was going to do the man when we, he recognized Anthony Lane. Hey, you're Lane, the one with the thylacine. Well, yes, and this is my daughter, and these gentlemen are the team that was with me, and... It was you I spoke to on the phone, wasn't it? Asked the man again, interrupting the honor Lane was planning to render us. Well, yes, my boy, it was me, yes. Good, because I want to give you more details. I saw these large feathered creatures on the island with claws the size of a carrot. Excuse me, I had to interrupt at that point. Are you Munep, the eyewitness? Well, of course. I was minding my own business, and those demons appeared on the beach. And you claim they were covered in feathers? Like a cuckoo, boy. Still counting the bills, King teased. And you claim you were sober? What do you mean, man? I was driving a speedboat. Do you think I would be that irresponsible? I'm just asking. It's a little late to come back, but not to pocket my money back. Well, yeah, I was sober, and I can assure you, those demons are very real. <laughs> demons. Sneered Keen as the witness, witness's gaze grew angrier and angrier. Dr. Lane decided that he should intervene. Please, Jacob, respect the man's beliefs. Whatever. Keen retorted. I'll take a look at his pitboat to make sure it's worth what I'm paying for. Leaving the premises with pomp, King left us to observe his departure and Mr. Munap to ask. Dr. Late, is this man related to you or something? No, my boy, he is only an associate. Why is that? Because I'm having a sudden urge to smash his face and I don't want you to take offense. No, I apologize for Jacob's outrageous. Only our tickets and equipment are funded by the university. The rest is left to him. You understand, don't you? Yeah, all right. I'll let him stay in one piece, out of respect for you. He replied, clenching his fists. And I thank you for your kindness, Mr. Muinap. And finished with a wink. Let him pay you first. Laughing at Lane's quips, the man was now, a was now as harmless as if he were incapacitated. 
In that good spirit, we left his home and set off also to meet Keane, who still had an expression of doubt as to the speedboat anchored at the pier. Come on, Jacob, said Lane. What's wrong with the boat? This charlatan promised me a speedboat, not a rusty canoe. Come on, you whiny baby. It's floating, isn't it? Now please, go back and pay that man without making any more trouble. As he walked up the sand line towards the houses, King heard Lane's voice calling him again. Oh, and Jacob? What now? Canoes don't rust. Frowning, King went on his way, huffing like a bull. And we waited for him to disappear between the houses to left again. This time at the expense of his unreasonable grumpiness. Seeing him return without a black eye, we asked no questions. But at least we knew he had kept quiet during the proceedings. He passed us in silence and made his way with the key to the boat, soon to be followed by the three of us. Taking up his position in the cockpit, Jacob Key began the final leg of the journey that would take us to the diminutive archipelago. We followed the coast, for the waters were shallower and the scenery more agreeable and so past the coastal towns and villages of Ukur and Yumielo, the islands of Apugi and Aviklo, describing a curve after the later to skirt the coast and past the less civilizations, Akinon and Oyek, arriving finally at the mouth of the Andrew River. We could see the three islands in the distance, Keeping three meters deep, I dropped 60 meters of chains, and was as was the pattern I had been taught. And there, to the mercy of calm waves, we planned our next move. Anchored near the meeting of the muddy waters of the Andrew with the turquoise waters of the Pacific Ocean. Anchor cast! I shouted to our captain. I had already noticed, Kevin. I believe it's up to you now, Dr. Lena. Doctor? Dr. Lane. As there was no reply, Lucy and I went to the bowl and found him sitting cross-legged, rummaging in his rucksack, deaf to any voice other than his own. The old man pulled from his rucksack a yellowish notebook with a loose spring. The notebook was in such a bad state that pages began to fall out and we had to help him, gathering the, the aged pages before the sea swallowed them up. We returned them to Lane. Notes, then? Lucy asked, happy to be questioned about his project. Lane invited us to sit with him. Come here, you two. I have something to show you, he said, laughing like a child. We sat down next to each other, and he continued. You will remember this notebook, Kevin. Here are details of expeditions in search of cryptids that some might only dream of undertaking. And then, choosing one of the pages, he showed us the list. Bringing the paper close to his eyes, almost to the point of leaning the list against his face so that his tired eyes could discern the text, he read it for a few moments. He then held it where we could both see it and resumed. The beans got my name, plus the information needed to find it. Are those coordinates? Lucy ventured. Precisely, my dear. Have you made expeditions to all these places? Not exactly. You see, 
We have already made some, but others are planned for the future. A future to be shared, child. Looking at Umbungi with the glint of discovery in his eyes, a glint perhaps only seen before in Leif Erikson's eyes. Lane continued. What's we return with the evidence from that island? Smiling, Lucy slung her arm behind Lane's shoulder, and I did the same on my side. We leaned back against the cabin's bro and admired Ambungi, Alagi, and Amgi for a moment. With a long sigh, Lane finished. I wish you were siblings. It was not long before I was up and going to our captain for orders. I was afraid that he would soon emerge of the bow uh, or that Lane himself would order me to raise anchor. And as I see it, it is much more pleasant to put oneself at disposal than to be commanded. I reported the summary of our conversation to Keen, omitting the emotion I doubted he would be able to feel anyway, and asked if I should raise the anchor yet. Do that. I want to see something interesting later today was the reply I received. We set off swiftly towards Ambugni, Lane still sitting on the bow with Lucy as if to make up for all the years of neglect in a single afternoon. Leaving the muddy waters behind, we were now passing over bluer, deeper waters, and somewhat scarier for those who know the reality about cryptids and always wonder what might lie beneath the waves. The blue waters were ending, and I could spot the village that rested on the northwest of the island, a small cluster about 30 houses facing the sea. Ambungi has a small lagoon surrounded by the foundation of coral and sand that over millennia gave rise to the island. On this same foundation, we were now passing with our boat, about to finally reach our destination. We docked and I ran for the chains before someone decided to shout orders again. Jumping out of the speedboat and wetting his suit shoes, Lane admired the village for a moment. Come and see what a picturesque place I have found, he exclaimed happily. And rather eerie, too. With everyone quiet, we could now agree with the doctor's observation how silent that village was. Going to the bowl, we looked at both ends of the village horizon, and not a soul could be seen. We descended, accompanied the old scientist, and approached the simple neighborhood of that island. Keane then took the lead in knocking on the first door and waiting, as good manners dictate, and Lane clapped his hands in front of the houses while shouting, Hello, is anyone at home? Getting no response, they both started to peek through the windows and finally entered the residences. Lucy and I kept our distance as we feared that a naked native would come out angry from his house. From the left, then came Keen with a nauseated expression, saying, By God, there was quite a fool in the last one. Anthony Lane, coming from the opposite direction, brought a similar report. In that one, there was spoiled food in the past, but the window was left open, and I don't think the animals left anything behind. We looked on once more at the village as a whole, and a shiver took over us. The day was dusk now, with the sky already dark, and a wind that hissed between the houses of the ghost town. 
Lucy left my side and ventured towards the farthest part of the village. What the hell happened here? Keen asked. Not sure, Jacob, but I'm afraid it's no longer safe for these younglings to accompany us. Doctor? I asked, perplexed at the possibility of not participating in the most interesting of the expeditions we had undertaken so far. I'm sorry, Kevin. You have as much experience as Kane in these expeditions, but I need someone to take my daughter back, and I prefer that you do it. Where did she go, by the way? On the way to find Lucy, I thought of the sadness I would feel at being sent back to Miriam to ensure her welfare. In that sadness, there was also certain poetry, but how was I to admire the complexity of feelings when my dream was about to end? I admit that I felt certain anger towards Lucy. However, I am thankful that I'm not capable of showing anger, since it was not only unreasonable, but also unnecessary, as the following event showed. Dad, I think you want to say this. We heard her call. Skirting the houses, we reached the source of the call, and I found Lucy in front of one of the houses, or what was left of it, more precisely. The hut lay with the back and front wooden walls completely knocked down. A Dinocarus would have no reason to attack a house, would it? Lucy asked, showing that she had recorded well what she had heard from Lane during some rare occasions in her childhood and more recently on the boat coming to the island. No, those creatures are herbivores, as far as we know. Anyway, my child, I have spoken to Kevin and... It would take her back to the base at Miriam, just to be safe. To be safe? She repeated. Well, yes. See what we can find on the way. Lucy was silent for a second, suppressing every word that she felt as an impulse to use and remind him that she had been able to look after herself all her life. With a sigh, she said simply, With all due respect, that if anyone needs looking after, it is you. Saying this, she walked away again, taking the lead in entering the island jungle. Behind, we watched her bravery in facing Yanoi. Her father, wide-eyed at her answer, silently admired her. Ahead of us, a great green wall rose like a portal, a portal to a world that no longer existed. 